the summer before my senior year in high school, I, I pulled together all that I had made through my summer jobs, which wasn't much, and I bought my first car. It was a 1982 Chevrolet Monte Carlo. It looked really nice. I was so proud of it, so excited to have it. But it also had very high mileage. But what could possibly go wrong? I mean, I mean, how big a deal is high mileage? Well, apparently, with some cars, it can be a really big deal. And so it began quickly to have several issues with my car. So it, it always leaked oil and used oil so that I had to often, like weekly, add oil to it. Some people would carry around a quart of oil. I carried around a gallon of oil in the trunk just in case you needed it. After some time, the, the fabric and the ceiling began to droop. So that me and my best friend, my buddies, we drove around. We had to sit down low and could barely see over as it drooped down lower and lower. But that wasn't it. Problems actually got worse. It began to overheat regularly. And so it was through that that I learned what little I know about cars, I learned with my dad trying to repair this old car. So I wanted to solve this problem. Why is it overheating, which apparently is a big deal for a car? So first we thought, well, it's, it's the radiator. It's an older car, so we just need to flush the radiator. So we, we did that. We bought the supplies, we flushed the radiator, and it helped a little bit for a short time. But it became clear that was not the core issue. So then we thought, well, maybe it's the, it's the cooling fan that runs. And like, well, the fan's not working sufficiently. So, so a new fan, maybe that will do it. So we, so we bought a fan, we replaced the fan, and that helped. And for a time, we thought we've solved the issue. But the issue returned, overheating again and again, because there was a deeper problem, a more substantial issue. And the problem turned out to be what they call a blown head gasket, which I had no idea what that meant when they told me, but it's a it's a big deal and a really expensive deal. Probably a lot of people just get rid of the car, but I couldn't afford to get rid of the car, so, so paid what I could to repair the car. This deep inner problem of a blown head gasket showed itself in these symptoms, could, could be treated just on the edges, but none of those surface treatments was sufficient to address this central problem of the car. And often our hearts and lives are like that. That we have symptoms in our lives, sometimes presenting sins that are substantial, that we want to address, that we, that we want to fight against. But often what we find is that there's actually a sin under the sin. That there's a, a deeper problem than what we originally thought. And today we're going to see that as we explore the deep heart problem of pride and the beautiful alternative of humility. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Proverbs 16. Today we'll be in Proverbs 16, verses 18 through 20. In the Bibles we provided near you, if you're with us here in person, you can find it on page 539. Page 539, Proverbs 16 beginning in verse 18. I encourage you to just open up a copy of the Bible or look at a Bible app just so you can see the text in front of you. You can see exactly where I'm drawing these thoughts from. As we mentioned throughout our series, as we're in Proverbs, the, the latter portion of Proverbs, we're not going through it chapter by chapter as we would normally in other books of the Bible. 
because of the design of Proverbs, where different topics are scattered across the various pages. So today we're looking at the topic of pride, but we are by no means looking at all the Proverbs related to pride. So I'd actually encourage you this week, you can just do a, a simple search, and you'll find a substantial list of Proverbs that address both pride and humility. So it can be a worthwhile study for any of us this week. So let's look at Proverbs 16, beginning in verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Today we see that pride is dangerous and destructive, but humility is the blessed and better way and a worthwhile lifetime pursuit. As we look across the scriptures, not just Proverbs, we see these two paths for us, the way of pride and the way of humility. One is common, one is uncommon. One comes naturally, and the other must be consistently pursued, cultivated. So today we'll see first the destructive way of pride, but then second we'll see the better way of humility. So the destructive way of pride, the better way of humility. So first, the destructive way of pride. Look down at verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. So here we see that pride paves the way for, leads to destruction, leads to a fall. So in pride, as I think too highly of myself, as I elevate myself, as I, I don't view others or, or God rightly, it's leading me towards a fall. Now the idea of destruction here or a fall has a number of ways that it can play out. And as we've mentioned, as we look at the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, often it speaks of things like a downfall for the proud, but it isn't saying that this downfall or this destruction will come immediately for all who are proud. So it's not you become proud, immediately you fall. In fact, sometimes it's not quickly at all. The proud in our world may experience those outward realities of this life of falling, but sometimes they don't. And if we're honest, often the proud in our world seem to get ahead. When we look around at the, the most successful people in our society, the most successful people in our city, often they're marked by pride. And so we may wonder at times, maybe the reality is that, is pride just necessary for success? I mean, can you really get ahead? Can you really be a success if you're humble? One of the ways that pride brings about this destruction or this fall in our lives is by undermining and even breaking human relationships. I mean, if we all think honestly about relational strife in our lives, whether it's at home, it's with a roommate, it's at work, it's with neighbors, 
almost always, underneath the conflict, underneath the pain, is pride. It is our pride that in the conflict makes me refuse to listen to the other side. It is pride that drives us to sin against one another. It's pride that leads to the conflict in the relationship. But, but those conflicts can be overcome. They can be healed if there's true humility that leads to honest repentance. Even in the most deeply broken relationship, when there's honest, humble repentance, where we're on a good path towards restoration. But if I can't come with honest, humble repentance, then reconciliation becomes impossible. I wonder, friend, in your life, are there relationships in your life that are currently strained or maybe deeply broken because of your own pride? Now, the temptation is to think about a broken relationship and to think about the pride of the other person. It may be true, I don't know, that they may be contributing to it, but I'm not asking about their pride today. But what about you? Are there some relationships in your life that have been harmed, that are deeply injured, severed right now, that your pride has contributed to? The prideful heart is also so dangerous and destructive because it is self-reliant and self-assured. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Wise in his own eyes, that that is a prideful person. So we don't think we need help from anyone. We don't, we don't want to ask help from others. We don't think we need help from God. And we think we know best. And friends, we all know this is so prevalent in our society today. We all are experts on everything. As I mentioned, what little I know about cars, I learned from my dad a long time ago. And yet today, if you had a car issue, I would probably give you some advice. I'd say, well, what you have there, you probably have a blown head gasket. Even though that's probably not it, right? That's, that's my one-size-fits-all, or you should flush the radiator. Maybe you should just add some oil. I'm an expert, right? I have an opinion. I mean, across the pandemic, right, we've all become experts on public health, on everything. Here's the, the facts about masks. And, and, all these, and all of us have expert opinions, and we are free to share them. And our society is at each other's throats. And so often it is our pride that fuels that. It is my pride that thinks, you know what, they really need to hear my opinion on this. They need to hear my expert idea. So pride leads to our downfall in many ways to broken relationships, to failed endeavors because we're unwilling to listen. We're, we're just not teachable to foolish choices we make because we think we know best. But of course, there's a more significant danger of pride, and that is that God opposes the proud. The ultimate reason for destruction is God's opposition of the proud. So our passage says, pride goes before destruction. For if my life is marked by pride that leads me to reject God, and throughout life I never turn to Him, Friends, is a sobering reality of facing the eternal judgment 
of God. Because in our pride, we have said, we don't need God. It's an important, heavy warning. And in this life, God also opposes the proud. Proverbs 15.25 says, The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. So the Lord works against the one who is proud. In the New Testament, in James chapter 4, verse 6, 1 Peter 5, 5, we're told the same thing. Here's what it says. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Because we must hear this and, and feel the weight of it. God opposes those who are proud. So therefore, when I'm prideful, I should understand that, that God will oppose me in that pride. But if you're a Christian, even though saved by grace, if, if you are, if pride has taken a root in your heart, if pride is flourishing, we will find that because God loves us, he will oppose us. He will oppose us for a time to push us away from that pride because he doesn't want us to continue to allow pride to flourish. He does it not to crush us, but to bring us to repentance for our own good. Friends, God wants us to be aware of the destructive power of pride. It destroys lives, it destroys marriages, homes, organizations, businesses, even churches. The challenge is even though we may be aware of the power and, and the pervasive nature of pride, it is extraordinarily difficult for most of us to see pride in our own lives. It's something that's easy to see in others, hard to see in ourselves. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, has a, just a wonderfully helpful chapter on pride. In that chapter, here's what Lewis writes. There's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others." So friend, I wonder, did you have a hard time with prideful people? Does being around pride people just really eat at you? It, it does me too. Like, I, I just can't stand being around prideful people. But friend, you see what Lewis is saying. If that is so, if being around prideful people really eats at me, do you know why it eats at me? Because I'm so prideful. Because their pride threatens my pride. Because my pride is in competition with theirs. And so, friend, if it just burns you up to be around a prideful person, could it be it's because of your own pride? Pride is so very hard to see in ourselves, to admit about ourselves, but easy to see in others. So friend, where might there be pride in your life today? Are you willing to, to try to see it, call it what it is? 
In the last few weeks, we've looked at what Proverbs says about envy and greed, gluttony and lust, really important and and often devastating sins. But often pride is a key that's driving these sins. Often underneath my envy is pride. The reason that I'm greedy is my pride. The reason that I engage in gluttony and lust is my pride. So John Stott says this, pride is itself the essence of all sin. We sometimes talk about pride being the sin under the sin. So friends, let me ask a few questions. Maybe just try to help us discern some areas where there might be pride in our lives today. Are you a person who's easily offended by others? If you're honest, are you sometimes unwilling to learn from others? Are you unteachable? Where do you find yourself often impatient with others? Where do you find envy in your own heart? Are you sometimes frustrated by the success of others? Where are you ungrateful instead of thankful? Are there times in your life right now where you think, I deserve better than this? If you're honest, are there areas of life where you are judgmental of others? Just some questions to to begin to sort of unearth some pride that we might have. And friends, the reality is the prideful heart is never satisfied. It's never content. It's always insecure and unsettled. But thankfully, friends, though pride is dangerous, though it destroys, we don't have to stay there. So let's not live in denial. Let's see the destructive way of pride. But then second, let's see the better way of humility. The better way of humility. Look back at our passage at verse 19 and 20. It's better to be in a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So we see that there is a better way. In fact, it tells us that there's a better life, a more fruitful, blessed, and free life to be humble and poor than it is to be proud having much. It's telling us that it's better to miss out on some worldly success and wealth for the sake of humility than to climb the ladder consumed by pride. And I wonder if we really believe that. Would we be satisfied with less marked by humility? Would we say, actually, I want to climb the ladder bad enough that no matter the price, even if the cost is a heart eaten up by pride. We're urged in verse 20, give thought to this, think on this, meditate on this, trust in this, and in doing so, trust in the Lord who's given us this word. And there, trusting in God's word and his wisdom, trusting the promise that humility is the better way, that's the way to blessing. We see in Proverbs 18, 12 that related 
the humble heart paves the way to honor. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Now, this is not a guarantee of immediate honor or honor by all for the person who is humble. It's certainly possible to cultivate a life marked by humility, and that's just not known widely by others. But friends, might it still be a worthwhile pursuit that at the end of your life, the only people who know your humility are those who know you best. And as they are at your funeral, they say, she was so humble. That there was a beautiful humility about him. But if your family and your friends were to say that about you at your funeral, that would be a high compliment. That would be a true honor. I wonder if instead people will say, wow, she achieved so much. He climbed the ladder. But there will be a cold distance at the funeral because pride had harmed so many of those relationships. So sometimes this honor comes in this life. Sometimes it comes at the end of this life. But friends, we can say, And for the one who walks in humility, we will experience riches and honor and life in the life to come. We can rest assured of that. So there is eternal honor to be had from Christ in the life to come. So we see that humility is desirable. It's the very best course of life. But but how is it possible, if we're we're all eaten up by, by pride, how can we possibly make progress? So it's certainly true that we don't have the resources on our own. We we can't cultivate humility just through our own willpower. For if we could, we would be prideful in the humility that we've cultivated. So we don't have the resources on our own. But the resources are available in our willingly humble Savior and King. He has made this transformation possible. In the Gospel of Mark, in Mark 10, 42 to 45, two of Jesus' disciples come to him, and they have this outrageous request. They ask him for the two best seats in his coming kingdom. And Jesus' response is this. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man, referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So friends, Jesus Christ, our King, he has showed us the way of humility. And he's called us into the life of humility. But even more than that, through his death, paying the ransom for us, his triumphant resurrection, He's rescued us and now has provided, as he reigns, he's empowered us to grow in humility. Now, in our pride, we had rejected God. But by his grace, he came pursuing us. Friends, it's so stunning that God gives grace to prideful people who had rejected him. If only they will turn to him in repentance and faith. So, friend, if you're not a Christian, we so much want you to know this good news. We want you to know that the daunting reality that all humans are marked by pride. And and I I assume you probably already believe that. 
But the Bible tells us that our, our rejection of God is from our pride as well. And friend, we want you to know this perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. Christians are not perfect. We, we aren't perfect. We won't be perfect in this life. But our Savior, Jesus, He is perfect. And He humbled Himself to take on flesh that He might die and rise again, securing this glorious gift of salvation held out freely to any and all who would humble themselves and admit their need of a Savior. And so, friend, if this is new to you, we would love to tell you more. Following the service, I'll be outside. I would love to chat with you. Or you can fill out the connection card or the online form. We'd love to serve you and help you explore this. For those of us who are Christians, once we've experienced the grace of God in salvation, we can now give ourselves to, to pursuing humility. The Spirit now dwells within us to help us in that. So as we start this pursuit of cultivating, we, we may wonder, how do we grow in humility? Where do we look, friends? Look to Jesus. That's why Christians were always going to be helped. If we just steadily read from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not only there, but regularly there. Why? To see our Savior. To see the only perfectly humble one who ever lived. So, so watch his life. See how he came to serve, not to be served the beauty of humility. And as we saw earlier in James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, we saw the daunting warning, God opposes the proud. But friends, this is the good news for us, but he gives grace to the humble. So yes, God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. Friend, if you're a Christian and you desire at all to fight pride and grow in humility, God will give you grace. He will always give grace to any of his children who want to take even the smallest step in humility. He will empower you for that effort. So what does it look like to seek to cultivate humility? One, friends, we, we must see that to cultivate humility requires grace-empowered effort. Listen to 1 Peter 5.5. 5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So here, both of these, there's, there's some actions that God's people are to take. Clothe yourself with humility. Put on humility. So to cultivate humility takes effort. Not self-reliant effort, but grace-empowered effort. But, but humility does not simply come to us as we passively wait. Simply because you've been a Christian for decades won't automatically make you humble. It'll just make you an older Christian. It takes work, empowered by grace, but intentional effort to put on humility. As we seek to cultivate humility, we want to recognize the constant danger of pride. Pride is subtle. It's hard to detect. So we'll always have to be alert to it. And we'll have to come to grips with the fact that this is an ongoing, lifelong fight. Pride is present in your life, probably more pervasive than any of us realize. And this is not a fight that you'll fight and win this week or this year. As long as you're alive, friend, you will need to fight pride and cultivate humility. 
John Stott helpfully says it this way, at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. So if you've been a Christian for days, the greatest enemy is pride. If you've been a Christian for decades, the greatest enemy is pride. So this will be a lifelong, enduring battle. And humility is not static. We won't cross a threshold and we've arrived in humility. And humility today is no guarantee of humility tomorrow. It could be that by God's grace, you really have grown in humility, but that doesn't mean that you'll be humble a year from now. Sadly, in the scriptures and in history, we see people who start well following Jesus, marked by much humility, but who in the end end up marked by deep and prevailing pride. Friend, it is a lifelong fight that God will give us grace for, but we'll have to prepare ourselves to fight and keep fighting. To cultivate humility, we'll also want to ask God for help. To pray, say, God, would you help me? Why would you help me to discern my own heart? Because I'm tempted not to see the pride that's there because I don't want to see it. Ask God to help you believe that humility really is best. To help you believe that humility with less is better than pride with more. Ask God to give you a a horrible distaste for pride and a growing desire for humility. Ask God to give you grace today for the fight, and he will give it to you. In order to cultivate humility, we also will want to reflect often. So one will want to reflect upon our sinfulness. In order to grow in humility, we want to be very familiar with our own sin, the sin that was necessary for that Christ died for to save us from that, and our ongoing struggle with sin. So we want to remember that, but also reflect often on the cross. They're the grace of God. So we're deeply aware of our own sinfulness, and we're deeply aware of the unmerited grace that we have in Christ. Reflect, meditate, think on both. A guy by the name of Milton Vincent has written a helpful little book called The Gospel Primer. Here's what he writes. Preaching the gospel to myself, reminding myself of the work of Christ, mounts a powerful assault against my pride and serves to establish humility in its place. Nothing suffocates my pride more than daily reminders regarding the glory of my God, the gravity of my sins, and the crucifixion of God's own Son in my place. Pride wilts in the atmosphere of the gospel. Conversely, humility grows lushly in the atmosphere of the gospel. Meaning, I think often on what Christ has done, his saving work of a sinner like me, That will grow humility in us. Another way to cultivate humility, friends, is to look for opportunities to express gratitude. An ungrateful heart is a prideful heart. So think about, one, what are some ways I can express thanks to God this morning? Lord, thank you for this beautiful summer day. For me this morning, thank you for a coffee maker that had coffee ready for me to start the day. Thank you for new mercies every day. So give thanks to God often, but not only thanks to God, thank people in your life. 
ungratefulness towards others. It's also a form of pride. So the people around us, would they see us as thankful? Do we express thanks often and freely to those we're closest to, to absolute strangers? In order to make progress in this fight, we'll also be helped to invite trusted friends into this area of struggle. Some who would know us best, who could tell us the truth. Especially if you do begin to experience some success. For the more other people tell you you're great, you need some people in your life to say, they may think you're great, I know you well, you, you, that's good, but you're not great. We need some normal friends and family members who say to us, that's cool that they think you're awesome, let's go wash the dishes. That's great that you've achieved that. Okay, take off your medal and, and let's go mow the grass. We need friends, family members, fellow church members to help keep us grounded. Not to tear us down, that's not what we're doing. But who also are not enamored with you. Who don't think you're amazing. They understand you're a sinner saved by grace, making progress in this life. In order to cultivate humility, look for ways to compliment instead of critique. The prideful heart is the critical heart. The prideful heart has an opinion on everything. The prideful heart knows what's best. And I think where this often shows up for us is in those areas where we're, we're most familiar. So I go to, you know, occasional like pastor's conference. So, so it comes a room full of pastors. What are pastors interested in? It's a, it's a strange group. I understand that. But what do pastors do is they critique everything, but a different set of things. Like, well, why does he have that sort of a pulpit? Why not a great big one? Why, you know, why, why wasn't the sound better? Why did he say it this way? And so, so we're all tempted to consistently critique each other. And I would guess there's some areas of your, of your life where you're tempted to do the same. Especially if there's an area of expertise, an area that you work in, an area that you're interested in. So when coworkers see you coming, are they anticipating critique or compliment? Do they turn the other way? Like, here he comes, here she comes, another critique. Or are they, here she comes, she always encourages, she always compliments. Friends, to cultivate humility, let us be a people who seek to compliment. Also, to cultivate humility, we want to begin simply walking in humility. We, we don't want to fake it outwardly, but there is a way where it's helpful to simply start doing the humble thing, to, to look for things that you can do. So, so that means we, we give up the best seat. Jesus talked about that. You come to a banquet, you intentionally choose the, the last seat, not the best seat, you, you intentionally walk in humility in a, in a conversation where you say, this conversation doesn't have to be about me. I'm going to listen to the other person. I want to hear their story, and I don't have to turn their story into my story. I can just serve them by listening and being interested in his life or in her life. We, we do this by seeking to serve others. Do you look for ways to serve, or do you wonder why others don't serve you? Or do you notice something that should be done and you think, someone should do that? 
Or instead do you think, I'm happy to lower myself to serve. Because my King Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. So therefore, friends, that can be our attitude as well. To cultivate humility, we also want to seek to turn our eyes away from self. Tim Keller has written a really helpful little booklet, and it's, it's barely even a booklet. It's just a tiny little. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And here's what Keller writes. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. It is an end to thoughts such as, I'm in this room with these people. Does that make me look good? Do I want to be here? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. This is the freedom of self-forgetfulness. It is not thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. That's a really important distinction. Humility is not that you think less of yourself, not that you tear yourself down, but it is the freedom to just not think about ourselves, just to think less about myself, to think more about others. Friends, that's the beauty of humility, thinking of myself less. Author Jason Meyer similarly says this, pride wants to be the center of attention for good or for bad. Pride's fixation with self can only be countered with humility's forgetfulness of self. So, friend, if you think about where you live your life day in and day out, how does pride show up for you? On campus, in the workplace, in your apartment with roommates, in your home? What would it look like for you to seek to cultivate humility there by the grace of God? With friends and family and marriage, where where does pride show up and negatively impact your relationships currently? What would it look like to seek to make progress? That's what we're after in the Christian life. Progress. Moving from pride to humility. Pride brings with it the awful stench of death. But grace-empowered humility has a beautiful aroma. And so our desire, by God's grace, is to be moving consistently from the horrible stench to the aroma of grace-empowered humility. Now, we as individuals and we as a church are always going to be living in between. We'll never arrive in this life, but we're always seeking to make progress. But our goal is not simply to look humble, but to be growing in humility. Not simply to hide our pride, but to root it out. Not simply to cover over the stench of pride, but for the beautiful aroma of humility to emerge more and more. When I was in the seventh grade, we had football practice right before lunch. So we had practice, we had 30 minutes to eat lunch and to shower and get dressed for class. So it was a a pretty tight window. So so all of us, we went to lunch quickly, then you went to the locker room, and we were in seventh grade. So seventh graders don't shower much, boys at least, in general. So like, look, time is short, we gotta go to school, nobody showered. So what we did is, in the locker room, everybody, so you have football practice, you eat lunch, you get dressed, and then 
But then you realize, we should probably sort of try to cover some things up. So they had these massive aerosol cans of Rightguard. It was really high dollar stuff. And so, so this is like sprayed freely around the locker room. And then there was the cheapest, largest jugs of bad cologne. So these were, back in the day, it was things like Stetson. So you'd have a big bottle of Stetson. And so these guys just would, myself included, we would, we would heap all of this on us. And then we went to class trying to cover over the bad aroma of practice. And pity the person who had to sit in class right after lunch with all these seventh grade boys. It was horrible. We had one teacher, Miss Oldfield, who she would call us on it. She would, she'd send guys out of there. It's like, look, man, you, you, you got to go shower. Like, this, this is horrible. Because the fact is we weren't clean. We're just trying to cover up. But the cover up wouldn't work. So friends, in Christ, we're not trying to cover up pride. We're not trying to cover over it. But by God's grace, to make progress leaving behind the ugly smell of pride so that more and more the aroma, the beautiful aroma of humility would mark our lives, would mark our life together as a church. So friends, let's pray and work. That would be true in our lives. That more and more in your life, where you go this week, in our life together as a church, we'd be marked with the aroma of humility. Our King Jesus has shown us the way. He's shown us and he's also made it possible that by the grace of God, we can make progress. By the grace of God, friend, you can look more and more like your humble king day by day and year by year. And imagine what it would look like this week as we're scattered to the city, to the campus, to the workplace, to our neighborhoods, to our homes. If in those places, pride was being pushed back, humility was emerging. Pride was being undermined Humility was flourishing. Imagine a church marked by this kind of humility, serving one another, serving our city. All of this drawing attention to the grace of our humble king. Friends, this humility is attractive and it is intriguing. It is truly beautiful. So let's pray that this would be true of us more and more. And this week, with all the strength that God gives us by his grace, let's, let's work that that would be so. To make progress this week, to be more humble this week than we were that last week. All for the glory of God. May Jesus cause it to be so in our lives. Now today is a means of response. There are several ways we'll respond. One is that connection card that you can tear off of your worship guide. We'd love to know if there's some ways we could serve you or pray for you. And maybe you say, hey, would you pray for me in the fight against pride? I would love to join in praying for you as I pray for myself. So you can note that. If it's confidential, you can mark that. Then on your way out, there are two brown boxes. Uh, just on your way out of the sanctuary, you can drop it in there. You can also just leave it on your seat, and one of the ushers will pick it up. If you're online, we'd love for you to fill out the connection form to let us know how we could pray for you. So we'll bow our heads for a time of silent praying. Then I'll lead us in praying together. And then we're going to sing together, voicing together our confidence in our humble King. Let's bow our heads together.
Father, would you help us today to feel the weight of this warning that pride leads to destruction? To hear the sober words that you oppose the proud. And so, Father, today we confess we are a proud people. All, every one of us struggle with pride. So help us today to come clean, to repent of that. Lord, I pray for some who are not Christians that they might today see the beauty of forgiveness, transformation, even the potential for a life that's different, no longer consumed by pride. Father, for those who are Christians, would you help us this week to work with the strength that you give us, empower us by your grace to pursue humility, cause us to be people who thankful, people who build up, people who serve. Through that, would you be glorified in your lives? Would you increasingly cause our church to be a church marked by humility? Help us now as we sing. Refresh our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.